Happy anniversary, Grace United Family Church. Eight years. We praise God for his work in our midst. Let's pray. One day we will kneel at your throne, Lord Jesus, and we will declare, my God, how great you are. Today, by faith, we do the same. And Lord, we thank you for the testimonies of how you've worked in Grace United over the years. We thank you, Lord, for the songs that we just sang. We thank you, Lord, that you are the living God and you invite us, even command us, to approach your throne of grace, that we might find grace to help in our time of need. And now, Lord, we find ourselves in need also of your spirit to open up this passage of Scripture to us, to illumine us, to help us to understand, Lord, the preciousness of what you have done here at Grace United. And, Lord, it's not because we are of anything, but you are everything. And so, Lord, I pray that you open up our hearts and minds, help us to apply what we've learned today, In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, today truly is a time of celebration. Would you agree? The Lord has seen us through over the years, and he's brought us, a group of people, together in a small fellowship called Grace United Family Church. Now, of course, there are multiplied thousands of churches all across the world, people like you and me, seeking to live the way the Lord would have us to live, seeking to give him worship that he would accept, seeking for us to care for one another and live our lives to the glory of God every day, and not just the hour, couple hours here on Sunday mornings when we're all facing the same direction, when we all kind of smell good, and we sometimes mask with a plastic smile, our struggles. Now, we share testimonies with one another this morning about what Grace United means to us individually. But what would life be like if all of a sudden none of us could meet here on Sundays or any place for that matter? How would you handle it? You know, there are those right now that can only meet together under very limited, restricted avenues and restricted ways, even in our own country. You would think that in this country that was founded upon the Judeo-Christian principles of God's Word, that we would be free to worship. Not so much anymore. As many of us know, California, for example, does not allow any more than 50 people to come together at one time. And when they do, they're not allowed to sing like we just sang now. They're not allowed to even chant, read responsively. And if that's not enough, people cannot even meet for Bible study in their own homes. This is what's going on right now in California. I was reminded this morning that in Seattle, they are burning Bibles. I hope it doesn't come to a state near us. But if you've been here and you follow the Corinthian correspondence so far, you know that we've covered the religious liberty and the COVID issue in depth. (laughs) Maybe almost beat a dead horse, so to speak. And you might be asking, why am I bringing this up yet again? (laughs) 
Simple answer is the Old Testament passage I want us to walk through today perfectly applies to this issue. And the passage that we're going to talk about today is Psalm 42. And so open your Bible, Psalm 42. It's only 11 verses, and so we can read through it rather quickly. But I don't want to study this so much. I want us to experience Psalm 42. I hope I can do it right. I hope I can do it justice. But Psalm 42 is an amazing passage of applicability of what is really going on in our day right now. It's amazing to me. You know, when we think about the Psalms, for example, we, you know, it's, it's, it's important to read it. It's important to kind of study, to see where things are. But it's much more important to actually experience it because these are the emotions. These are the perspectives of the psalmist and their own experience with the Lord. And so let's read Psalm 42 together. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise and multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song with, is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now, this is a day of celebration for Grace United. Why are we in the midst of a depressed guy? And we'll find that out. This man, identified as one of the sons of Korah, kind of sort of like a, um, a, a, a member of the temple praise and worship team, is downcast. We would call him depressed. Very depressed. Very, very depressed. He says that his soul is cast down three times. But son of Korah, why are you? You of all people should rejoice. You play music and lead God's people in song. What's wrong with you? This man is indeed suffering. He's weeping. Certainly this man is godly. There's a clear distinction between him and the wicked, for they continue to taunt him, and they demand, where is your God? He feels far away from the lover of his soul. He even asks the Lord, why have even you forgotten me? He's overwhelmed with grief. 
Deep calls into deep. God, your waterfall of affliction continues to pour over me. In short, this man is in deep anguish. This is where he is emotionally. But where is he physically? Far from where he longs to be. See, in verse 6, he says, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Well, where is that on the map? It's about 150 miles away from his beloved temple in Jerusalem. It's north of the Sea of Galilee, if you know where I'm talking about. We might say that this son of Korah was geographically far away from his home church. He's very homesick for his home church and his family. He was depressed emotionally. He was far from home geographically, and he suffered from great thirst spiritually. Let's look again in verses 1 and 2. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So what's he saying? I have a thirst not for the things of God. I don't have a desire to perform my spiritual duties of playing music and and leading people in, in, in worship. What I desire more than anything else is God himself, God alone. He likens his desire to be with God as an insatiable thirst, like a deer which cannot find water because everywhere the deer looks, there's nothing but a dry riverbed. Cannot find water anywhere. So he's panting. In his book, Sahara Unveiled, William Lang Wishy tells the story of an Algerian named Laglag. Interesting name, isn't it? And a companion whose truck broke down while crossing the desert. They nearly died of thirst, waiting for the three weeks before they were being rescued. As their bodies dehydrated, they became willing to drink anything in hopes of quenching their terrible thirst. The sun forced them into the shade under the truck where they dug a shallow trench. Day after day, they lay there. They had food, but they didn't eat because they were afraid that their food, their eating their food would magnify their thirst. Dehydration, not starvation, kills the wanderers in the desert. And thirst is the most terrible of all human sufferings. In Laglag's case, they went through a thirst progression. That of an ordinary thirst, through bouts of temporary intense thirst, to sustained excessive thirst. When someone gets to that stage, they are driven to drink anything, even rusty radiator water. Radiator water is what Laglag and his assistants started into when the good drinking water was gone. In order to survive, they were willing to drink, in effect, poison. That's how thirsty they were. The spiritual state of this son of Korah was that he was absolutely desperate for God. Like these guys were desperate to get their thirst quenched. He remembered the precious times. He went to the temple and basked in God's manifest presence. He cried out, when shall I come and appear before God? 
This man was desperate for God. Nothing could satisfy him. But what about God does he long for here? What can satisfy his thirst for God? Getting alone with God on his knees before a Torah scroll, would that satisfy your thirst, son of Korah? Or going to the temple and practicing his music? What was it that would satisfy him like nothing else? The only thing that could. Let's look at verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. What was it that flooded this godly man's mind and heart as he poured out his soul to God? In a word, phrase, corporate worship. That's what satisfied him. This man longed to worship the living God with his spiritual siblings. Only this could satisfy him. The shouts and songs of praise together. This is what he was desperate for. And I wonder if this son of Korah were to somehow appear in California or during the time when everything in the country was locked down because of COVID, what would he think? What would he say? You know, there are many in our day who have walked away from corporate worship altogether. Did you know that? It might be a temporary thing or it might be permanent. See, many are fed up to the eyebrows with this thing called online worship. See, because they're barred from attending services in person or because they have to jump through all kinds of hoops to be able to get to an in face-to-face worship service. Many are saying, an increasing number, it's not for me. I'm tired of doing this online, and I can't get to worship in the, in the place where I have been used to. And so what they do, they stop tuning in altogether. You know, there's a struggle going on in our country when it comes to corporate worship in our culture. And that much we're sure about. But there is a reason for that in large measure. Because how many people have been well-trained to think that Sunday morning worship is an evangelistic outreach? That it's the job of the Christian on Sunday morning to bring their unsaved friend to church so that the preacher can give them the gospel of Christ, as important as that is. But is that the purpose for Sunday morning worship? What's it for? Anybody who's been here at Grace United for any length of time knows that The answer to that, right? We know. It's Sunday morning is for God's people to come and worship the true and living God. But because church culture has so trained people that the service is for good feelings or evangelism or even a self-help TED talk, what happens to all the sons of Korah, the daughters of Korah, who have thirst for God in corporate worship settings? They go on and they continue to pant of thirst. Where can the thirsty sons and daughters of Korah meet God together? See, when the enemies of God, and there are many, say to God's people, where is your God? Where can God's people go to be refreshed if Sunday mornings are meant for evangelism or self-help? So where am I going with this? Real corporate worship begins with a thirst 
for God before we come. We ought to come here with a longing for Him, eagerly seeking Him. We ought to also come seeking Him together as God's people. And the mechanics of Sunday morning worship here at Grace United are pretty much the same, aren't they? You know, we start out with a scripture passage, we pray. You know, we have announcements, we pray some more. We sing, we pray some more. We have a, a message delivered, hopefully okay. We pray some more. And we sing some more. We give a little bit. Then we have some fellowship before and after. You know, some may label it boring. Same thing every week. Same thing, same thing. But you know, I must admit that I'm not super excited all the time myself. But what does that mean? It means my heart isn't exactly right when I come here. I'm human too. It only reveals my own heart during those times. How often does a son, a daughter of God, come into the corporate worship service? Oh, hum. Just kind of going through the motions, whatever. Could it be that we have a loose relationship with the Lord? Could it be? But what if? What if? Outside the walls of our corporate worship service, that we see the difficulties of life as God's instruments to force us to become thirsty for Him and meeting with His people. You know, part of why we remember our persecuted brothers and sisters every week around the world is to help us to realize how temporary this life is and to remind us of the fierceness of the spiritual battle and most importantly, to help them as we pray for them because our prayers do help them. You know that, don't you? This is not just a religious exercise. God hears us and God answers and God acts when we pray for them. Now, I know that we say we understand the fierceness of the battle. And I know that we say we understand how temporary life is. But if we lived in the difficult circumstances to the same degree or even less of a degree than our brothers and sisters right now live in, how different would our perspective be? If full-blown persecution were to come to our shores, I'm sure that those who are truly saved would become very thirsty very quickly, wouldn't we? And I'm equally sure that those who are not saved or who are only religious, they would fall away real quickly. See, if those of us who are truly saved, we would be like the sons of Korah, thirsty for the Lord, thirsty to be with God's people. See, hard times, though, especially persecution, has a way of revealing where we really are with the Lord. See, we can say all day long, I know the Lord, I love the Lord, I'm strong with the Lord. But when we are under persecution and under the gun, where are we then? So that I finish my devotional here for anniversary Sunday, number eight. I believe God's word to you and me through the pen of one of the sons of Korah is this. How thirsty are you? How thirsty am I for God and God alone? 
How desperately do we ask the question that the psalmist asked, when can I come and appear before God? The bottom line for all of us at Grace United really is simply this. Let's not take for granted what God has given us here. Eight years. Brothers and sisters in Christ here. Times of corporate worship to glorify the Lord together. Opportunities to have sweet fellowship with one another. A place where we can do this in relative comfort. You know, people all over the world, where are they meeting? Sometimes caves. Sometimes holes in the ground. Sometimes they can't even, they, they can barely whisper because they're afraid their family members will find out that they're Christian. And for fear that somebody will come and knock on the door, take them away. On Sunday mornings, when we come here, are we ready? Are we thirsty to worship God, to meet with God, with our fellow brothers and sisters? Are you thirsty for Him? And if not, why not? Could it be that you are complacent in your fellowship with the Lord? How much distance is there between you and him? Or could it be that you might be cherishing sin in your heart? You know, the psalmist says in Psalm 66, 18, he says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to me. Are you allowing your desires and the cares of this life enter in and choke the word, making your life unfruitful for him and thereby squelching your desire for him and for him alone? But if you do come on Sunday mornings panting for the Lord to be with him and to be with God's people, and you want nothing more than just to be pleasing and desiring to to give God praise and worship that he will accept, then praise him for it because this does not naturally happen. Our hearts do not naturally do this, do we? See, normally we don't seek God. We don't desire God. Isn't that tragic? But it's true. In our sinful nature, we turn away. But when the Holy Spirit convicts us and we respond and He saves us, then begins a lifelong process of Him changing us, transforming us to where we do desire Him and we do love Him. And it takes a lifetime for this to work itself out, doesn't it? And even as Paul has said in Philippians, he says, I'm assured of this, that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. So before I pray, I want us to listen to a song written by a guy who, um, and, and sung by a guy who went to be with Jesus almost 40 years ago. He sings with a childlike passion that moves me even to this day. Some of you have heard of a guy named Keith Green. He's one of my heroes. As we listen to Keith Green's testimony, and we hear him sing the song, Lord, You're Beautiful, see if you can resonate with his longing for the Lord. If not, take this time to ask the Lord to search your heart and say, Lord, where is it? Place your finger on that spot or those spots in my heart 
that you could fix. And Lord, I want you to fix them. Ask him to work in your life so that you can say with deep conviction, oh Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. For when your eyes are on this child, your love abounds to me. And as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Lord, may we be able to say that you're beautiful. Lord, so often we we look at what you demand of us and we don't like it. A lot of times we say, Lord, can't you give me something else to do? But Lord, I don't want to forgive this person. Lord, I don't want to pray. I don't want to read. I don't feel like it. But you are the Lord. You're not our buddy. You're the one who saved us, who loved us enough to go to that cross. The least we can do, Lord, is to love you back. You told us what that means. You've told us, Lord, that if we love you, then we will obey you. So, Lord, I pray that you will help us to obey. Not to prove anything to you, but just as a simple response of saying, Lord, thank you. A simple response of saying, Lord, I love you. And Lord, may you increase our thirst for you. Lord, may we seek you, seek you alone. May you give us that desire, Lord, that you would be all-consuming us, that you wouldn't just be part of our lives, you would be our very life. So, Lord, help us. We need your help in this. Naturally, we don't. Naturally, we can't. So help us, please. Now, Father, I pray as we give, help us to give with a heart that's truly overflowing, full of gratitude. And as we sing, help us to sing with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, because you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray.